How are we doing, Crave? Good. It's good to see you. My name's Kevin. I'm the high school pastor. If you're new or uh, you just don't remember because we haven't been together in a little while, we were off last Sunday uh, because of camp. So, uh, if you, again, you don't remember the series or you just haven't been here, let me recap a little bit of where we've been. Uh, Jonah 1, Jonah's given a mission from God. God says, go. Jonah says, no. Uh, Jonah is commissioned to go to Nineveh to preach repentance. He jumps on a ship and goes the opposite direction. God sends a storm. Jonah winds up being thrown overboard, not out of self-sacrifice for the other sailors, but because he would rather die than go and preach in Nineveh. But God has also arranged a great fish to swallow Jonah. Then in Jonah chapter 2, we see he cries out to God. And depending on how you read that, maybe he even dies and God resurrects him. But at the end of Jonah 2, he is spit out onto dry land, and that basically encompasses the first half of Jonah. This week and next week, we'll tackle the tail end. I do want to point out to you, though, uh, and we didn't bog down, like, could this happen, the science of it all. But recently, uh, there's been a man who's been dubbed a modern-day Jonah. Maybe you've seen it in the news. Check out this clip. Did it really happen? Questions are being raised about the real-life Jonah, the guy who claims he was swallowed by a whale. I just was in there struggling, banging. Michael Packard was lobster diving in Cape Cod on Friday when he says the humpback whale sucked him right into his mouth before spitting him out after 30 seconds. He was just going along, and I just happened to be in the wrong place at the wrong time. Whale of a tail sounds fishy, goes this headline. You would expect more serious injuries, one Cape Cod doctor was quoted as saying. He had no soft tissue damage and no broken bones. But this 54-year-old scuba diver says he totally believes the story. I believe it uh, fully. It, it is possible. Why? Because Reiner Schimp had an almost identical experience back two years ago and has the photos to prove it. That's his body sticking out of the mouth of a whale who'd swallowed him off the coast of South Africa when he was filming footage of the sardine run. Without the picture, it's very difficult to prove that you've actually been inside. Whale swallowing humans is exceedingly rare. The odds it will happen are one in a trillion, according to one expert. He wasn't harmed, I wasn't harmed, and uh, it was like a happy end. One in a trillion, so you're saying there's a chance, okay? I'm, don't disobey God, you never know what could happen. Uh, we're gonna pick it up in Jonah chapter three. If you don't have a Bible to scroll or open, we've got some in the back. We've also got these handy dandy handouts for you. So now's a good time if you wanna move that direction uh, because we won't go very far into Jonah three. Uh, the first verse, I have always, always, always loved Jonah three one. Look with me, it says this, then the Lord spoke to Jonah a second time. What a privilege. To have God speak to you even once, much less a second time, after direct disobedience. And this is truly, if there ever was an ultimate, uh, don't make me tell you again, like this, this is it, right? Like you, you certainly have gotten the message now, Jonah, I shouldn't have to repeat myself. But uh, God does actually repeat himself and tells him, uh, and we won't read these on the screen, but in verses 2, he says, go to Nineveh and give them my message. Uh, but before we even dive into him going, I want you to get this. So, again, if you do have a handout, I want you to know this. God graciously grants second chances. God graciously grants second chances. I want you to see from one of my favorite kind of obscure Old Testament passages that this is true. This is from Lamentations 3, through 23. We'll put it on the screen. It says, The faithful love of the Lord never ends. 
His mercies never cease. Great is his faithfulness. His mercies begin afresh each morning. I know we've got that slide. Let's go ahead and roll over to Lamentations 3 so everybody can see what I've just read. I I love these verses because the second chances that we read about in the Bible for Moses, for Jonah, for Paul are not just for biblical people. They're for us. Every single morning, God's faithfulness remains. His mercy is fresh. And so I'm just telling you, if you've been living a certain kind of way and you're like, I know I need a second chance, the good news is you can have that in Jesus. He died to give you that second chance. So with his second chance, Jonah gets up and he actually does head off to Nineveh. And in the story of the Ninevites, we're going to see tremendous grace and tremendous mercy. So before we unpack that, I want to define what those things are for you. You see those on your handout as well. We use these terms a lot in church. We sing about grace. We sing about mercy. But, like, what are they specifically? Grace is this, getting what you don't deserve. Getting what you don't deserve. So if you think about Christmas time, if you've ever been around, like, little kids and they're being asked, have you been good? In theory, if they've been good, they get presents. If they've been bad, they don't get presents. But most of us know they're getting presents either way, right? Like, that's grace. Whether you've been good or bad, you're going to get those presents. And that's a true, true, true sign of grace from your parents, your grandparents, whatever. Mercy is the opposite, but it's just as powerful. It's not getting what you do deserve, So grace is getting something you don't deserve, you haven't earned. Mercy is not getting what you do deserve. So if you've ever been pulled over, and don't raise your hands, but if you have, you know the fear that just grips your soul. And they come up and ask, license and registration. They always ask this question, do you know why I pulled you over? Yeah, I've got a pretty good idea. And they go and they come back. And if you ever hear these words, I'm going to let you go with a warning. Oh, you'll start singing praise songs in the car. You'll want to get out and hug the office. Like, it is, it's mercy. When you know that you did it, but they don't punish you, that's mercy. And I I think we see both of those here in this story, but we experience a lot of grace and a lot of mercy on a regular basis. So Jonah goes to Nineveh. Verse 3 says that it's huge. It would take several days to walk through. And Jonah 3, 4 is our next verse we'll look at together. It says, on the day Jonah entered the city, he shouted to the crowds, Forty days from now, Nineveh will be destroyed. Wow, what a moving sermon. Like, that's it. That's not the preamble. That's the whole sermon. In Hebrew, five words. In 40 days, Nineveh destroyed. That's all he says. Notice what he doesn't say. He doesn't say why Nineveh will be destroyed. He doesn't say how. He doesn't say who. And he never mentions God. This is a sorry sermon. And for me, as a communicator, it just makes me go, you know what, even if I don't get it completely right, God can still move because that is, in fact, what happens. But you have to ask, why is his sermon so short? Why is it so self-sabotaging? Why is it so sorry? He doesn't want to give this message because he knows that God can and will redeem these people. So Jonah preaches the sorriest sermon, like, of all time. And despite that, Jonah 3.5 says, the people of Nineveh believed God's message And from the greatest to the least, they declared a fast and put on burlap to show their sorrow. It's not just the people either. The king actually hears this message. He steps down from his throne. He himself puts on these mourning clothes, and he issues a decree to the entire city. We read about that in Jonah 3.8. The king commands, 
people and animals alike must wear garments of mourning, and everyone must pray earnestly to God. They must turn from their evil ways and stop all of their violence. Not just the people, the cows. This man is dressing up the animals in repentance. So if you're that person who you love to dress up your animals for whatever reason, here's some biblical basis for you. You're welcome. Uh, but, but they do that, which is weird, and we laugh at it, but, but they take it pretty seriously. Okay, we have to turn. We have to repent. And look at what the steps he, he says to them. We pray earnestly, and we turn from our evil ways. We pray, and we turn. I think there's a lot of our theme verse embodied in what the king commands. And you probably didn't even know we had a theme verse, but we're going to look at it together right now. We'll put it on the screen for you. It's James 4, 8. And actually, I'll read also the verses 9 and 10. It says, come close to God, and God will come close to you. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, for your loyalty is divided between God and the world. Let there be tears for what you have done. Let there be sorrow and deep grief. Let there be sadness instead of laughter and gloom instead of joy. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up in honor. The king of Nineveh gets it. We have to pray. We've got to turn. We've got to take this seriously. And James, the brother of Jesus, says, we've got to check our attitudes. We all know what it's like to sit around with our friends and laugh about the things that we have done that we know are wrong. And the Bible clearly says, hey, stop doing that. Start taking your sin a little more seriously. And I don't say that to guilt trip you. Like, that's not what I'm here to do. But I do want you to understand your sin matters. There are consequences. There should be some grief. There should be some brokenness because you are breaking God's heart when you deliberately choose to do things opposed to his will. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up and honor. Pray. In turn, Now, there's this verse in the Old Testament that I think personally gets taken out of context a lot. But I do think it's applicable here. So we'll put it up on the screen for you. It's 2 Chronicles 7.14. We'll read the whole thing, and I'll help you understand part of why I think it's out of context sometimes and why I think it fits here. Then if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, I will hear from heaven, I will forgive their sins, and I'll restore their land. Sometimes we love to grab onto that last part about this land being restored, and we try to make this about America. This verse wasn't written to America, wasn't written by Americans. It's not what this verse is about. What I do think is good in this verse is the people of God, and I'm talking to you, high school student, brother and sister in Christ, if we will understand that we need to humble ourselves before God, pray earnestly, turn from our wickedness, which means stop doing those things, really truly seek to know him, I think he hears us, and I think he can heal and he can forgive. And that's exactly what the king of Nineveh is hoping for. We jump back into Jonah chapter 3. I love what he says. Who can tell? Perhaps even yet God will change his mind and hold back his fierce anger from destroying us. He's like, listen, I don't know what's going to happen, but maybe, just maybe, God will show us mercy. Like, maybe. He sent this prophet for a reason. Maybe God will move. And that's exactly what happens. The final verse of Jonah chapter 3, verse 10 says this. When God saw what they had done and how they had put a stop to their evil ways, he changed his mind and did not carry out the destruction he had threatened. Now, we could probably bog down in that piece about God changing his mind, and there's a theological conversation that if you want to have it, come see me. I'm happy to have that conversation with you. For now, I'll simply say this. I think our prayers matter. I just do. When we pray earnestly, when we come before God sincerely, I think he listens. 
I think your prayers matter. I think my prayers matter. And I think that God is still moving, especially when we move in response to how he speaks. The people of Nineveh realized, we got to change. And they did. And God saw that, and he honored it. I think it's important to understand that that can still happen for our life today. And despite the fact that Jonah, you know, didn't do a great job, God moved in that. So how are you going to respond when God speaks? Even if it comes through a fumbling, bumbling communicator like me, how will you respond? It's important. Here's the deal. Uh, We are all called to respond to God. Jonah did not respond well. He was a reluctant ambassador. God said go. He said no. He fought this. He did the bare minimum once he actually got there. Five words? That's rough. Jonah's response is not something that I think we would set up and go, yeah, we should be like him. The people of Nineveh, though, when they heard, yeah, that's something that we absolutely can look at and go, man, we got to listen to God. So what am I saying to you today? Like, This is a great story. It's a total Sunday school move from when you were a kid, right? You've heard this story a million times. What does it matter to us? Well, I'm telling you, we are called to be God's ambassadors, every single one of us. Not just my opinion. This is the Word of God. Look with me at 2 Corinthians 5, verse 20. So we are Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. We speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. I'll ask you to consider a question that we asked the last night of camp. Who is God trying to speak to through you? Who's God trying to reach in your life through you? Well, Kevin, isn't that your job? You're a pastor. Like, you do this professionally. Sure. But I don't know everybody in your life. And honestly, I'm a nobody to those people in your life. You have tremendous opportunity to speak on behalf of Christ to somebody that I'll never meet. You are called to be God's ambassador. I think another lesson we could take away from this is to be like the people of Nineveh. I already touched on that. The people of Nineveh did a 180. I think we often do 360s. Let me me explain. I think a lot of times in life we look for that line and we go, okay, if I cross over that line, not good. Sin, it's evil, it's bad, it's wrong, it's damaging. But we like to get real close to that line and we're like, ooh, my toe went across. It's okay, though. It's okay, it's okay. The people of Nineveh were confronted with, hey, here's the line, and you've blown way past it. And they turned, and they went the other direction. Here's what we do. We go, oh, no, this is sin. This is bad. And so we'll do like a little bit of a turn, and we'll kind of meander back towards Jesus for a minute. Then we're like, I mean, it wasn't that bad. And we just kind of wind back up over here. And we just spend our whole life going in circles. I don't know if you've ever felt that way. If you've wrestled and wrestled and wrestled and wrestled with the same thing, you're like, I just can't beat this. You're just going in circles. You'll turn for a while, but you ultimately keep coming back. And you go a little further and a little further and a little further. I don't know if that is something you can identify with, but for me, I just I know I've done that. And I don't think that's what God wants for us. Look at the words of Jesus. This is from the last book of the Bible. It's from the book of Revelation, chapter 3, verse 19. Jesus says, I correct and discipline everyone I love, so be diligent and turn from your indifference. Hey, not just turn from your sin, turn from your indifference. Some of us in this room, we just don't care. We know we're doing things wrong. Like, you know it. You're not stupid. You're not ignorant to the fact that what you're doing is wrong. You just don't care. Jesus, who made you, is saying, turn from your indifference. Let there be some brokenness for the things that you have done wrong and you know they're wrong. And understand, sometimes he's going to discipline us. 
many of us in this room know what it's like to live under that discipline. No one likes to be disciplined, but it's necessary. We've got to turn. We've got to come back. Look what Paul says in Romans 5. I know I'm throwing a lot of scripture at you tonight. You can just jot down references if you want and check it out later. Romans 5.21. Just as sin ruled over all people and brought them to death, now God's wonderful grace, there's that word again, rules instead, giving us right standing with God and resulting in eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Don't miss what this verse lays out. You are ruled by sin or you're ruled by grace. Sin leads to death. Grace leads to life. There's no in-between. There's no middle ground. Well, but sometimes I'm sometimes. Are you following Jesus, which leads to life? Are you just doing your own thing because you don't care? That leads to death. And not just physical death because we will all die. But eternal death, eternal separation from Christ. What rules your life? Look what Paul says. He keeps going at the top of Romans 6. I hope you guys know Romans is a letter. There weren't chapters when it was originally written. Anyway, he continues the thought. Well, then, should we keep on sinning so that God can show us more and more of his wonderful grace? Of course not. Since we have died to sin, how can we continue to live in it? This is what we do. Well, God will forgive me, so I can just keep sinning. He'll show me more grace. Glory to God, grace upon grace upon grace. No. No. If you've died to sin, how can you stay living in it? Let me make this point. This isn't even in my notes. You wouldn't do anybody else in your life that you truly love that way. You just wouldn't. A boyfriend, a girlfriend, one day a spouse, a mom, a dad, a grandma, grandpa, someone you truly love, you will not continue to wrong them over and over and over and over and over again and just come back going, hey, you'll forgive me, right? Hey, you'll forgive me, right? Hey, you'll forgive me, right? You're abusing forgiveness and you're abusing grace. Like, why would you, why would you live that way? Now, in true love, people are going to continue to forgive you, but there are still consequences for your actions. I'm just telling you, I think a lot of us come in here on a Sunday and we sing some songs and we listen to a sermon and maybe we talk a little bit in small group. We just go right back to doing what we want the other six days. Well, God will forgive me, right? God will forgive me, right? And we just circles. I don't think that's edifying. I don't think that's glorifying to God. And I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to condemn you. I'm just trying to tell you I think there's a better way. There's a better way. So as we get ready to close, I'll ask you to think about two questions. The first is this, how will I respond when God speaks? How will I respond when God speaks? I always phrase these questions in the first person so you can go home and ask these to yourself. How will I respond when God speaks? This is our whole theme at camp, if you were with us, that God speaks directly to us Sometimes audibly, sometimes through his word, sometimes through other people, sometimes through circumstances. But God does speak. How are you going to respond when he speaks? You can be like Jonah and just run the opposite way because you don't care. You can be like the Ninevites who you understand something's got to change. Question two, what do I need to repent from? What do I need to repent from? Again, This is phrased for you, not the person beside you, not the person in your friend group who you know has done a bunch of jacked up stuff. Oh, man, did you hear what he said tonight? I really hope you can repent. No, 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 stop. Stop. Take the plank out of your own eye before you start worrying about a speck in somebody else's. What do you need to repent of? You have sin in your life, I'm reasonably confident. Listen, now maybe you're coming here like, dang, I thought I was doing pretty good. And maybe you are. I'm not, again, I'm not trying to condemn you. I'm just saying I know enough about how we are. Some of us, 
you ever get in a fight right before church with somebody? And it's just like awful and you just feel like there's brokenness in a relationship but you're trying to come in and sing like it's the worst. Or you know you did something wrong even like right before you came over here and you don't really want to go home and deal with it so you'll play nine square for an hour and make me stay here. Please go home. Um, But you know what I'm talking about. Hey, what do you need to repent from? Tell two people tonight, God. Tell somebody else, small group member, me, your small group leader, somebody when you go, tell somebody. Hey, I'm struggling with this. I, I need to change. I need to turn. I need to give this over to Jesus. I'm not saying you got to go home and put your animals in sackcloth of mourning. That's weird. Don't do that. It's your heart. Your heart matters. You guys can see the bands here, and as they get ready to play, I want to read you a pretty obscure passage from a pretty obscure Old Testament book. Name I genuinely love. It comes from the book of Joel. This is Joel 2, 12 through 14. See how this parallels the end of Jonah 3. This is why the Lord says, turn to me now while there is still time. Give me your hearts. Come with fasting, weeping, and mourning. Don't tear your clothing in grief, but tear your hearts instead. Return to the Lord your God, for he is merciful and compassionate, slow to get angry, filled with unfailing love. He is eager to relent and not punish. Who knows? Perhaps he will give you a reprieve, sending you a blessing instead of this curse. I don't know what's been keeping you from turning to Jesus, but why don't you just do that while there's still time? You are not promised tomorrow. I I don't share this to be emotionally manipulative. My grandma passed away this past week. She was 90. She loved Jesus. She had a very full life. I think a lot of us go, I'll live to be 100. And you just probably won't. What if your time comes sooner than you're ready for? Why don't you just make sure you're ready? What's keeping you from Jesus? What do you need to repent from? He's merciful. He's compassionate. He's slow to get angry. Somebody in this room probably thinks the way I used to think, which is God's like some state trooper waiting just around the bend to catch me and give me some kind of cosmic ticket. That's just not how God is. He loves you. He wants to show you grace and mercy, not just bust you for all the things you've done wrong. I'm going to pray, and then as the band sings, I just invite you to do business with God, whatever that looks like for you. God, thanks for today. It's a blessing that you've given to us. I hope that, God, you can help us to be like the people of Nineveh who, when confronted with their sin, turned. Help us to respond as you speak through your word, through this song, through your spirit. Would you transform our hearts and make us more and more like your son, Jesus. It's in his name that we pray.